Our modern Western culture places little to no value on the power of our nightly dreams to inspire, shift, and reorganize our lives. This podcast demands a deep reconsideration of the role dreams play on our path to a more vital and meaningful life. The following is living proof of the life-affirming power of dreams to affect change and redirect the trajectory of our inner and outer lives. These are the dreams that shape us. In observation of Father's Day, this episode we honor the journey of fatherhood and the initiatory experience it is for a man. And as we will see with Jim, it isn't any less initiatory for men who are not biological fathers. Jim had a powerful prophetic dream three years before he fostered and eventually adopted his now children. In an unflinching stance by his dreams, he was shown the image of the two children the dream said would be his. This is an amazing ode to the sacrificial, deeply profound love of a father and the mysterious ways our lives and stories graft together through love. I'll now pass you off to Jason and Jim as we explore this truly touching story of fatherhood and belonging. Enjoy. Hi, Jim. Thank you for joining us today and sharing with us your experience. This is a real treat and pleasure for me because I am always looking for people who are willing to talk about these unconventional dream experiences so that other people can know that it happens. And sometimes it happens in very big, life-changing sorts of ways. In your case, you had a precognitive dream where you saw a brother and sister together and that they were going to be your children. But at the time, as we talked about before we started the interview, you didn't even know that you wanted to have children yet. Is that a fair thing to say? That's true. Uh, we'd only been married maybe not even a year yet. And we discussed the possibility, but it wasn't a done deal. It wasn't, um, we did, hadn't, we had no plans at that time. Yeah. So this was a year after you married your wife, you had a very vivid dream and, um, you see the faces of your, you see the faces of two children. I say your children because they've been with you for 10 years now. So they are your children, but at the time you didn't know it, but you say, you see the faces of two children, a brother and sister. And they're both around yep. six years old and you, the sister mm -hmm. was younger. So you mm -hmm. told your wife about the dream because it was so vivid. And what I'd like to do is start there. I like to give people a way of differentiating the ordinary dream from the extraordinary one. Now to say that all dreams aren't extraordinary just by their nature um, is limiting. But what I mean is, is that when you have a precognitive dream, a dream that shows you something that is going to happen or could happen in the future, those dreams, one of the things that people say about it who experience them is that they are very vivid and they stand out from other dreams. Can you describe for us what it was like to wake up from that dream? What was the dream like and then how you felt afterwards? So in the dream, it was more like, uh, it was like I was told in the dream, these are your kids, or that was the thought that was there, these are your kids. And I saw, you know, their race, their ages, the brother was older, the hair color, the eye color. Um, and uh, I guess the, the striking thing, first of all, any, any dream that you wake up from and you can still remember it, that's kind of extraordinary. But this was more than that because I woke up and it was like, sticking with me strong. Like you have this strong sense that you can't shake it when you wake up. Like yeah. you don't just wake up and go, huh? It's like you're wake up and you're still having it almost. Like it's still in the forefront of your mind and it's not fading away. And it's just like hanging there. And uh, enough so that that's when I tell my wife, I'm having, I had this really weird dream and it's so vivid. I can still see it. Like, 
And that doesn't, almost, that almost never, well, that seldom happens for me. That almost never, I would say. And uh, so I actually, I explained the whole thing. I said what they look like, their race, their age, all that stuff. And said, and it was so vivid. And uh, that's one reason this dream stood out for me even later is because I have a witness. I told them <laughs> the moment I had the dream and then we both thought come to fruition years later. So your wife was there after you had the dream, you told her about it. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. three years later, you are going through the process of adoption. And your mm-hmm. first time you are told, hey, there's this brother and sister that we have here. And you see photos of them and you immediately realize that because of their race, um, their skin color, that they were not the children that you saw in your dream. Um, so then no. you yeah. go to adopt them and you find out um, when you're basically getting there, um, that there is a problem and you're not going to be able to adopt them. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. We actually met them at a, they have these adoption picnics where the kids are, uh, it's, it's the kids are there and they just meet a bunch, they meet some adults, prospective parents, and they don't really word it that way, but you meet some kids and you kind of hang out. And so this one, the brother was pale with freckles and he was younger and he had red hair. And whereas in my dream, they were Hispanic with black hair. And then the, the, the daughter was older, also pale. And I was just like, and I understand to Jen and she's looking at me like, and I said, this is nothing like uh, the kids in my dream. And she's like, yeah, that's what I thought. And I said, oh, well, bring garbage, I guess. But then at the last minute, I don't think you. <laughs> okay. So the kids that you are at this point thinking you might end up adopting them, they have light skin. Your kids from the dream, they have, they look different. They look Hispanic. And mm-hmm. so you mm-hmm. get there, you realize, oh, they're not the kids from the dream, but you're not going to not adopt those kids just because they, you know, you're looking for something, you know, a connection with them as a parent or whatever criteria that you're coming in with. Um, but then, it, uh, then the adoption falls through and you wait mm-hmm. for how long until you got the call about the emergency placement? It was less than a month. And then we got the call two weeks before Christmas and, and we uh, went down to the, um, the adoption agency office and they said, we have an emergency placement, getting them out of a bad situation. So they showed us, so it was, it was going to be foster adopts, the foster to adopt, and they show us the profile. And immediately my wife, her eyes big, looks up at me and I was like, and I just nod my head and both having the realization it's them. Yeah. So she recognizes them from your description that you gave her three years mm-hmm. earlier after you woke up from the dream. Yep. Wow. Yep. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So let's talk about this. You had an extraordinary experience as you found out, as you um, shared it at Reddit and you got responses from people um, right now, I'm seeing 54 comments and I read through this earlier and found that there were a lot of people in here who said that they also dreamed about the children who became theirs um, before they knew they were going to have those kids, in some cases before they'd even gotten pregnant. So your Mm -hmm. experience is, I don't want to say it's common, but it is more common than what might be commonly known. Because there is this sort of paradigm out there that says it is impossible to dream about anything that happens in the future because the future hasn't been determined yet. There's The, the mm-hmm. future isn't there to be able to see in a dream. So therefore, it must be some kind of coincidence. Did you ever go through that sort of back and forth with yourself over what did you really experience in this dream? And did it really show you your future children? Or did, was there some other factor at play there? Have you had this conversation with yourself? Oh, man, so many times. Like, was it confirmation bias? And I've gone through all the steps and like, well, no, because I didn't I didn't affect the, per, the parameters of who we were going to adopt. It kind of like landed or it was handed to me. I didn't define it. I didn't have any influence over it, really. And, uh, so yeah, I went over it cause I'm aware of confirmation bias and all that. And I'm, I, I went over it with my wife, like, yeah, yeah, you remember I told you that dream and, and she's the one who looked at me when we saw the profile and I didn't, I didn't, um, what do you word? Uh, I didn't feed her information or say, oh, this is them, right? No, she looked at me and said, that's them. Or it looked, had that look in her face of that 
caught in the headlights. Like, this is really happening. <laughs> well, yep, I guess it is. So I've thought of that. Yeah, I've thought about that many times. So you, your wife was, was part of this process and she's been there with you all along. And mm-hmm. was there, a t- was there ever any doubt in your mind that the dream really did show you your children or was this just something that you felt so strongly in your gut that you knew it had to be true? Or is there a third answer? I don't mean to restrict you to just my options. Yeah, I would say um, up until the point of adoption and somewhat afterwards, I was like, well, this is a, this is the done deal. And then, so, you know, kids that come, older kids, they were five and six when we got them, older kids who are in the foster adopt system, there's a reason they're there and they've had a traumatic past. Um, our kids especially had a lot of trauma and I'm just a programmer. I'm not a child development, child psychologist, anything of that. Um, there was a lot of therapy involved and there was a lot of, uh, trauma at home that I was just like, what is happening? Like, so when you go to the adoption training, there's this thing called the red book and it tells you all the worst cases that can happen and everybody goes, oh, that's not going to be us. But yeah, you know, that was kind of us. <laughs> the kids had a lot of stuff to work through. I'm very proud of where they are now. And they did a lot of work and they came through a lot of hardship to get to where they are today. And in the midst of it, I'm like, I'm not qualified for this. And like, how can I have this dream that they were supposed to or supposed to be mine? Or maybe it was just a fact that they were going to be mine, but I don't get it because I'm having to, I mean, I'm having to sacrifice a job or a house or whatever. I don't, I know how I'm doing this. So that I don't get this trauma stuff at first. And it was just overwhelming. And I'm like, how could this be? I think there was just kind of a, um, not a par- kind of like a paradox, a, a tension there that I just didn't, I didn't comprehend. I didn't understand it. God, I, I feel for him so much. And I know exactly how this feels of feeling like, why me? Like, how? <laughs> It's just, it's so overwhelming to be a father, to be a parent at all. And like when Erica was pregnant with Luca, it was probably in most people's eyes, the worst possible time in my life that he could be on his way. (laughs) I'd quit my job about a year before he was born in a story that I'll probably tell in greater depth at some point Uh, was the beginning of this initiatory period for me that I have spoken about vaguely in quite a few episodes of this big death that happened to me. I thought that this is my time. Like, it seemed like everything was like, yeah, we're supporting you, Steve. And so I quit my job and I'm like, oh yeah, my creative life is going to support me and I'm going to just, you know, jump off the cliff and, you know, discover that I can fly. And unfortunately, the initiation had other plans for me. (laughs) And so as everything started being stripped away from me in my life, and Erica got pregnant, a few months into her being pregnant, I was just freaking out going, how can you ask this of me? To go through this initiatory experience in the midst of having my woman be pregnant, and like, how can, how can you ask this of me? Because I want to support her. I want to support him. And there was just such a dilemma going on. And I'd have to explain it more to have it all make sense. But that same feeling of, I have no idea how I'm going to do this. And like him, he had the dream that told him these were his kids. So it's kind of like, this seems like a tall order you're asking of me. And I don't think I'm capable of doing this the way that you're asking me to do it or the way that it's happening. And it's so felt. It's such a felt experience. And during that time, I I was having a really hard time with the fact that I felt like and was being echoed by several people in my life that it was kind of like I was being a deadbeat dad and that's not who I am at all. And it just was weighing so heavy on my heart and I had a dream one night that I went into a hospital room where there was a bunch of incubators and 
At that point of the pregnancy, Luca was probably only like four to six inches long. And so the incubators were very tiny. And here he is, this little tiny (laughs) four to six inch baby who is in an incubator, not in the belly. And as I'm looking at it, just in amazement, like the emotional impact in the dream was so profound. And I'm looking at the little baby and it's kind of cartoonish, so it doesn't look like a weird little fetus, but Luca sits up and he looks at me and he begins talking and it like, my jaw just like drops in the dream. And he says, there's something that you have to face or like someone, which probably was me. (laughs) And I want you to charge at it as if you are on horseback. And wow, dude, like to be given that from my son before he's even born, like dad, I need you to do this because if you do this, You will become the man that I need you to be for me. That you need to be for yourself. And what a gift that was to receive that. And I did it. I did it. Now you said that there was this voice in the dream that told you these are your children. Can you describe that voice? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's more like, um, it's like a, uh, some people would call this still a small voice, but it was just, it's more of like a, a thought that's pushed on you of that's not yours. I don't know if that, I think that makes sense to some people, at least they'll, they'll go, oh yeah. But, um, cause I've talked to people in my personal life about this and they know exactly what I'm talking about. But so it's not a, a man's voice or a woman's voice. It's just this something. It's an idea that's pushed at you. Okay. So when you say voice, it's more like information that has entered your head. You kind of maybe hear it as a voice, but it's something that is like, let's just say telepathic in the sense that it's really only heard in your own mind. Or maybe I call it a thought form or something like that, that just like is imparted to you. Which this is also common from experience of dreams that are um, doing something that is outside of the conventional or outside of the norm. For example, in dream experiences where it appears that there was actual visitation between the living person and a deceased loved one, the communication is often telepathic. And this is one of the things on my checklist that I look for when someone asks me or I'm trying to give them advice on whether or not their dream was a visitation or if it was just a dream. You know, because when you lose a deceased, when you lose a loved one, you are going to dream about it. And sometimes you're going to dream about it very powerfully and very vividly. But there are a few things that you look for in those kinds of dreams. I can offer it. I call it a checklist. It's just I have to be able to give people some advice on how to differentiate these things. One of them is telepathic mm-hmm. communication. Another one is, is that the deceased is always in their prime. They never come to you in anger or guilt or looking like they're unhealthy or anything like that. They, they're always there mm-hmm. with a reason, and the reason is always positive. There are always positive messages. And sometimes they can impart information that is not known to the living, um, that they can mm-hmm. tell about things that are about to happen. They can warn about say, a health crisis that's about to come on. They can give advice about what house to buy, what job to take, you know. We're not pushing anything on you, but, okay, so we're going kind of far afield. What I wanted to do was tell you, (laughs) your telepathic voice is a, um, it's commonly reported as a feature that is part of this overall experience of um, dreams that are unconventional, or let's just use the scientific mm-hmm. term here. What you experienced is called a precognitive dream. Now you already know what precognition is. Did you know at the time what precognition, when you had the dream, did you know what precognition is? Yeah, I did. I didn't even think of it as, I didn't call it precognitive. Well, I didn't know it was anything at the time other than it was a dream, but yeah, I did. Uh, back in the nineties, when my first son was just a baby. Me and my friend used to listen to Art Bell and all that stuff. 
stuff. So yeah, I know all that, all that terminology pretty much. Gotcha. I've been on uh, coast to coast a few, <laughs> a couple times as a guest and George Norrie always mm, pelts me cool. with, he pelts me with questions about precognitive dreams. So it's, <laughs> that mm-hmm. is a, uh, it's a subject mm-hmm. that is um, very close to his heart. So I, uh, um, I find that interesting. And Art Bell, of course, was the originator of coast to coast. And he's still to this day, mm-hmm. um, sort of the godfather of this field. He talked about mm-hmm. things that were of great interest to call it a small, uh, swath of the population who was willing to say, yes, you know, um, sometimes you can have experiences that cannot be explained through our, you know, materialist rationalist paradigm and that we can't just Mm -hmm. discount all of this evidence. Um, let's at least look at the evidence and then we can decide. Um, so Art brought mm-hmm. all those experts onto his show who might not have ever reached the nationwide or international audience that they reached otherwise. Now, I want to mm-hmm. use the voice to talk about something else. You said that you had this sense that you were chosen to be the father of these kids, that mm-hmm. you wouldn't have been chosen because you were a child psychologist or because you had all of the money in the world to get these kids all the help in the world they could get, you somehow figured out how to make this happen. But you did not think at times, at least, that you were the right person or that even that this experience was real, that there might have been Mm -hmm. something going on where maybe you wanted to believe something or, hey, Mm -hmm. let's call it like it is. Did you ever feel like you were maybe... Um, whoever out there in the universe picked you to be the father of these kids that they picked the wrong guy. Yeah, for sure. Or more like, did I just make a huge, uh, big mistake and didn't really understand anything at all and totally misinterpreted or put too much, uh, credence on my, um, my dream or, you know, just second guessing myself every, every point along the way in certain times at the lowest time. The dream was a factor in making your decision to adopt the kids? Um, Yeah, a little bit because we were like, well, this is the kids in our dream. I mean, what else are we supposed to do here? And we loved them. Like, as soon as they came to our house, we just adored them. And, uh, yeah, I I suppose it was, yeah. So, in a sense, it was like you were assigned as the parent in that it was meant to be. It felt like that, yeah. Where does that felt sense of knowing come from in your experience, how would you describe where that felt sense of knowing came from? Um, well, I believe in a divine creator, um, that interacts with our lives. And I, I, that's where I feel like it came from is somebody. So we, we backtracked to when the kids were um, dropped off at the, well, they were left by their uh, birth mom at the shelter or the women's shelter. And it was right about the same time as I was having that dream, right around that, you know, within six months there, I can't say it was the same day or anything like that, but it was pretty close within six months. And I just wonder sometimes like at that point, it was like, okay, like some divine um, call center said, all right, or, you know, uh, <laughs> said, all right, we're assigning this for these people over here now because somebody made this decision and now we're going to do this. We're rerouting or I don't know. That's the fucking picture in my head a little bit. <laughs> Well, you know, your experience jives with what I've uh, experienced myself and what I've seen from other sources, people who have a lot of experience with this and have even gone into maybe um, some of the research and the science behind it. That there are, uh, the, There is something larger at play here, that life is not just random, that the universe does not roll dice, you know, and just allow mm-hmm. things to, you know, that there is a certain amount of freedom for us to be able to make our own choices, but that there are, there is some kind of a larger thing that is at work here. And this goes back to the research that has come out of the University of Virginia Department of Perceptual Studies. It started with Ian Stevenson, um, and now it's uh, followed up by Dr. Jim Tucker, who is a psychiatrist, and they both um, have studied past life experiences. And one of the things that have come out of the thousands of well-documented cases, not in every case, but there is now a massive body of evidence that has been accumulated 
using the protocols of research and academic science or academic research and science is that there is a sense that the children chose the parents that they knew before they incarnated into their next life that they had chosen the parents in the circumstances that they walked into. So extrapolating from that, your sense that you were assigned or maybe given because your children are given mm -hmm. to you, that you were given mm -hmm. this opportunity, that something out there in the universe, you say a divine creator, um, other people might have other words. There's just some kind of larger intelligence mm -hmm. out there that is appears to be all knowing and all loving. And it looks for these matches, you know, it's like the cosmic matchmaker mm -hmm. out there goes, Hey, I got these kids here and I know because they just got dropped off at this woman's shelter and their mom's a mess and the kids are a mess, but we've got them to a safe place. At least they're in the shelter. Mm -hmm. Now they need a home mm -hmm. and it mm -hmm. can't happen right now. But I know a home that's going to be coming available here in about, oh, three years. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this was just, it was a felt sense of knowing you, you're not saying that there was a, you know, the, the light shines down on your head and God comes down and says, thou shalt be the father of these children. Like, there was this, there was something larger. You felt like there was something larger at work. Um, and obviously you probably prayed about this and did other things to try to say, Hey, mm -hmm. am, am I really reading this correctly? Are you really telling me to be the parents mm -hmm. of these kids? Is that, is that fair to say? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let me ask you something else, Jim. Have you had any other precognitive dreams? Uh, now that I was thinking about it actually just today, uh, yeah, I yeah. have had some, um, I, None of them that I could verify like this one. Actually, one of them I tried to when I was a kid. So I had, and most of them have been pretty meaningless. Uh, they didn't carry a bunch of weight in my life or import. Um, I had one when I was in sixth grade. I lost my favorite set of gloves and I, I, I couldn't find them for six months. And I woke up one morning and I said, Mom, I had a dream. I'm going to find my gloves. I'm going to pull them out of somewhere. And then, and there they'll be. And she's like, ah, that's nice, honey. So I go to school and the whole time they were in the back of my desk behind all my books. And I, I just felt them back there and I pulled them out and there they were just like in the dream. So I get home and I go, mom, it happened just like in my dream. What dream? She's like, eh, you know, that's not what honey. Like, she didn't even, wasn't listening. I'm like, dang it. I can't like, that was my proof. <laughs> so that <laughs> Yeah. Mom's your, mm -hmm. mom's your witness and some witness she is. <laughs> yeah, okay, mom. Well, I had, uh, uh I had someone on Reddit share with me a dream they had where they um, they had lost a bullwhip about five years before. A bullwhip. How do you lose a bullwhip? Right. Mm -hmm. He said yeah, had, he said that in his dream he was shown that the bullwhip was hidden above his his um, ceiling tiles, and so he wakes Whoa. up from the dream. He knows that this is like he's like I I I know my bullwhip is up there. Somehow he knows it. Someone someone had hidden his bullwhip above the ceiling tiles and it sat there for five years until they had the dream that told him where it was sure enough he wow. he you know pops the ceiling tile looks up there and there's his bullwhip of all I things love those yeah i didn't <laughs> another guy dreamed that um he would find that he had some lost video game cartridges couldn't find them anywhere um he had a dream hmm. that they had fallen down into his reclining chair and he digs way down into the nether regions of his reclining chair he finds the cartridges, just like the dream said. I mean, these are two examples. I've hung out at Reddit for years now, and I've especially kept an eye out for these sorts of reports. And I can say that they number um, probably a few hundred, if not several hundred uh, reports that I have run across. And the details match in ways, you know, like some, some people might like, they're like, oh, I had a dream last night that there was this thunderstorm. And the next day there's a thunderstorm. And you're like, well, what's the mm -hmm. odds of that happening? And you can look and mm -hmm. go, well, actually, on this day, you had a 40% chance based on historical records mm -hmm. that you would have a thunderstorm on this mm -hmm. day. So you can't call that mm -hmm. precognition. But in your case, Plus the body you can tell the weather changes are coming and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. And your body can sense these things mm -hmm. too. You might have been asleep and you felt the, you know, the change in the barometric pressure or something like that. Mm -hmm. I know a guy who mm -hmm. had a dream where he, he dreamt that his bed caught on fire. 
And he woke up from the dream and he's like, there is something here that's too weird. He pulled his bed back from the wall and one of the outlets, the plug had, he said it was like super hot and it was starting to like oh. lightly smoke. It was so hot. If it had, if the bed, because it was pushed up against the bed, if the mattress had sat there against that yeah. hot source, it eventually would have mm. caught on fire. But the theory, yep. the working theory is, is that he actually smelled the little bit of frying electronic mm -hmm. um, because his mm -hmm. head was on his pillow, which was, you know, a few feet from that um, hot electrical outlet. So he was actually smelling mm -hmm. something that was triggering the dream. Now, we have other cases mm -hmm. where you have absolutely no prior knowledge. Jim, you had never seen those kids before in your life, right? Nope. And, and I had no preconception of what kind of kids I would have. I mean, I ha I wasn't, we weren't even talking. We we weren't planning about adopting yet or anything. So, no, it was pretty out of the blue. And you saw the descriptions, like you, you had a lot of detail from the dream. And obviously from mm -hmm. just your description, I mean, your wife was not there seeing your dream with you. So when she mm -hmm. saw your the two kids that you eventually adopted, you say that she recognized them right away, just based off of your description. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Yep. And you didn't really see their faces, but you saw hair color, eye color, skin color, age, gender. Um, you had all of that mm -hmm. information, right? Yep. Yep. I couldn't say, well, uh, they're good looking kids. So I don't like, uh, I couldn't say, oh, this one has buck teeth or this one has a big nose, which they don't. They're both very beautiful. They could be models, but <laughs> every parent says that. But, um, um, you know, nothing like that. That was a, oh, they have a mole on their lip or anything like that. It was more uh, just these parameters. And I could, I saw it, but I couldn't like, I couldn't take a photograph and go, if, let's say there was, um, you know, they showed me a mug shots of six, uh, six-year-old Hispanic boys. I might be able to say, well, this one's more like it than not, but I wouldn't be able to go, that's the one. Like, you know, it, it, I would be able to see in the general vicinity, let's say. Okay. Like I knew he wasn't heavy. I knew he wasn't scrawny. I knew he was uh, moderate, you know, moderate weight and, you know, like that. Just that, but I didn't know that if he had, you know, what size nose he had or I couldn't recognize his eyes except I knew they were brown, but, you know, it was, but very many parameters enough that my wife could recognize based on the parameters she could see in the photo. They both, and it was for the brother and the sister and they both fit. We have now, um, the felt sense that you had in the dream, you had that, mm -hmm. uh, the physical enough physical description that you recognize the kids on site as being the same ones that you saw in your dream. Now, here's one thing that is uncommon for an experience like yours is the amount of time that has passed. When in my mm -hmm. article on my website, dreams123.net, I have a article on precognitive dreams and anyone out there can find it by putting in precognitive dream or ordinary dream. And that should get them right to my um, article that I wrote about this. And here's one of the things that comes from thousands of cases of precognition and looking for the commonalities between them is, is that usually a precognitive dream will come true if it's going to come true within two weeks. And I say if it's going to come true because we're not dealing with prophecy here. What we're dealing with, mm -hmm. what I think, is, is that we are seeing probabilities for the future it's the same as it mm -hmm. happens in the quantum level of our reality as our physical 3d reality bubbles up from the atomic soup or whatever you want to call it what is happening at that atomic level is just probability it's just pure information and it says here are a spectrum of probabilities that can occur and then we as the intelligence observer picks the probability that yeah. actually becomes our reality I think that we see that sometimes, or maybe even nightly in our dreams, we see the probabilities for what's about to come up and we actually make choices. So Jim, in a way, when you mm -hmm. had that dream and you said, great, I've got these, you know, the voice says, Hey, these are your two kids. If you would have reacted mm -hmm. by saying, screw you in your whole idea of parenthood, then maybe that probability mm -hmm. would have said, eh, we'll find another parent. But instead, 
let me add, and let me not bias you by um, framing this question too much, but let me just ask you this. What was your internal reaction when the voice said, these are your kids? Uh, just a certainty, uh, like a complete acceptance and certainty that that's how it was going to be. So you affirmed that it was a flaw. You said, you yep. said, yes, mm -hmm. that's, that's okay. That's okay with me. And even with all of the um, difficulty and struggles that you've had with this, like you, you said that you had to change jobs. You've, you, mm -hmm. these, the kids have been through a lot of PTSD and trauma and you've had to go through a lot of, mm -hmm. you know, counseling and things with them mm -hmm. that even through yep. all of that, that your sense that that voice picked you for a reason that it was true even if you didn't always understand why that this has helped to carry you through the experience especially at the times when you were ready to kind of throw your hands up and say why me not why me in a pity pity sense but just like why did you choose me for this because i don't feel like i'm the right person right and i guess what my wife and i learned uh, is that those kids were, were given to us to save us just as we thought we all saved each other is really how to put it that um that my life was improved i became a better person my wife my wife and i both did a lot of work you know all four of us the kids and me um my older son five of us so uh, we all did work through this that made us all you know through, go through the refining fire and come out a little purer at the end i'm not saying i'm pure but purer than it was when I went in. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel you. You know, I study uh, Carl Jung. He's one of my, you know, he's kind of the godfather of uh, dream psychology. And there mm -hmm. is something that he said I ran across in his writings as he said, through the wounding experience comes the call to higher initiation. That in other words, mm -hmm. you experience these, you know, the doubt and the pain and the wounding and everything else that it can be a blessing because it will spur you to growth and that without these challenges and without this spurring, without the cattle prod sticking you in the butt and saying move, that most of mm -hmm. us would just kind of stay complacent, we would stay in place and that we would never be able to live out our fuller uh, potential. And it sounds to me, Jim, like you would agree with that, that in the sense that the experience of adopting these kids and everything that you've been through together has made you a better person. Yeah. Uh, you know, beforehand I was all about chasing the dollar. You know, we talked to the, you know, when in the nineties when I was a programmer and we were like rock stars and I loved it Yeah. and I was doing consulting and working some long hours, but I thought, Hey, I can, I can have everything I want. I can have a big house. I can have a boat if I want convertible, all that, all the toys. And, uh, and then the kids come along and I think, well, fine, I'll just pay for them to go to, well, no, they need a parent. They don't need money to fix their problems. They need a, a loving parent. And so those things had to be stripped away from me. I was holding on so tight. They had to be pulled out of my clutching claws forcefully for me to let go. And once I let go, I mean, I, I would, it was such a relief. I mean, it was such a burden lifted that I felt like I had to do these things. Uh, you know, the whole consumerism thing. Um, you know, I still like nice stuff. I just don't chase it as much as I used to. I, that would have never happened without my kids. I would have still been a uh, totally, it's all about me, <laughs> just chasing my fun. Basically. In other words, in other words, a Californian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I, 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 I get like every weekend. And, and it looks like, um, the, it looks like something else had a different, um, idea in mind for you, but it was still your choice. Would you agree with that? You had to decide that this is what you wanted. Yeah, it, no, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yep. This is fantastic, Jim. I knew there'd be sacrifice. I knew there'd be sacrifice. I was willing to do sacrifice, but I didn't understand what sacrifice meant. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, I'll sacrifice, but I had no idea how how much how how deep it goes, I guess, or the ramifications, or how much of a different person I need to be to get to where I needed to be to be the right to benefit my family the most. Like, just a different paradigm, basically. I was not in the right paradigm, and it, I had to be forced into it, kicking and screaming. <laughs> 
sacrifice is such a beautiful part of parenthood and the archetypal notion of the sacrificial father is not lost on any father biological or not it's this incredibly beautiful powerful and profound experience that washes over a person who now is beholden to such beauty and such deep love for someone else in such a way that especially for a man they have probably never felt before a year or two into luca being born i had this amazingly beautiful short dream where i was in a hallway and there are these two older men who were understood to be fathers talking amongst themselves and i pretended to be doing something so i wasn't so blatantly eavesdropping but I was listening to them talk, and the one man relays to the other man the story of how he explained to his young daughter that he worked for a diamond mining company, and that he worked so hard to unearth these diamonds for her. And he reaches in his pocket at one point, and he pulls out his pockets, and all that is left in these pockets is lint and like paper scraps. And the notion that came across this gesture was that everything that he did and everything that he earned was in service of her and that he just gave it all freely to her, everything that he had. And in that moment, sacrifice didn't feel like if I give to you, I take from me. It felt like an overflowing. It felt like there was no greater joy than to give so fully of yourself to someone else and that is what sacrifice is to a parent it's not this notion that most people have where if you sacrifice yourself you're giving yourself away and you're not getting anything back for it the parental sacrifice is this overflowing and just within a few days of me having this dream i was reading the book belonging by tokopa turner who's a fellow dream worker. It's a beautiful book. And I was reading this passage in the book where she talks about living your life as an offering to the debt that can't be repaid. And in reading that, it just brought this notion of sacrifice so fully to the surface for me. Because that is what the parental sacrifice is all about. That it is our attempt as fathers, as parents, as mothers, to offer ourselves so fully as an act and gesture to attempt to repay the debt of the amount of beauty that God has given us through our children. This debt that compounds and compounds with each day and each way that they just nestle further and deeper into our hearts and the beauty that is displayed by them in the way that they grow and how with each stage, it just continues to become more and more of a beautiful, beautiful journey with them. And how could we ever repay that? It's so we try and attempt to give ourselves so fully in the repayment of that debt. And it is so intensely and emotionally beautiful, as you can see. I can't even say this without crying. You said, and I want to make sure we hit on this point, that there was a time when you were seeing a therapist with one of the kids and that the therapist claimed to be a bit psychic and said that you were the only one who could have been the father to them. I'm reading from your post here that it was meant mm -hmm. to happen. And so mm -hmm. did you, when, when that psychiatrist said that to you, how did you, mm -hmm. how did you feel? How did you react? That was pretty early on too. Well, it was early on, but um, it rocked me back in my heels. I was like, whoa, like it, like a shockwave. Like, cause I, some of these um, things that don't fit the normal materialist paradigm, you just try to, tuck them away and not think about them too much, uh, except you pull it out maybe when you need it, like you said, when I needed to know I'm doing the right thing here. But uh, when she it brought it full front and center when she said that, and I was like, 
okay, this is a confirmation, I guess, that I'm doing the right thing. But, you know, it's it's a little bit uh, too much to be just synchronicity or a chance. It's like, I don't know, it just made me think, made me think hard. It was pretty profound. Uh, yeah, I, I, it kind of blew me away. Jim, thank you for sharing this experience with me and with us, because this is going to reach a larger audience uh, through my YouTube channel and my dream school students. These are people who are really interested in this kind of experience. And while it may not be commonly accepted, you may not turn on the nightly news and hear about somebody's precognitive dream. Um, you and I and well, hopefully many more listeners out there who maybe were on the fence will be convinced to at least keep an open mind for this, to know that it, it is real, that it happens to people um, who are from all walks of life around the world, that this is something that we haven't covered yet. But I want to let you know, precognition, precognitive dreaming is a natural ability that everyone possesses. It is in the very nature of the dreaming mind to be able to disconnect from the current time and space and by extension, be able to view other times and places, whether they are in the future or in the past. This is a natural ability. Mm -hmm. And most people, though, do not remember their dreams well enough to know that it happens for them also that on an almost nightly mm -hmm. basis they could be dreaming things that are part of their future but they don't recognize they don't remember their dreams well enough to know that it happens as jim relays so beautifully and powerfully throughout this entire episode is that fatherhood is an initiation it's trial by fire there's no one size that fits all who you are before you become a parent and who you become after are two drastically different people because the gravity of the deep responsibility of taking care of a child and helping to foster its growth in life really shifts something deeply profound within a human being. And there's no going back. And as we see with a lot of fathers, this responsibility is so daunting and so life-changing that not everyone makes it. Not everybody does the deep and the hard work that it takes to become the father that you are meant to be. And so on behalf of all fathers out there who are taking care of their children, who are standing in the fire, who are leaning in, I honor you. And I am honored to be one of you. And I am deeply grateful for all of the men in my life who have given me such a strong and beautiful example to go off from, especially my own father, on what it means to sacrifice, on what it means to give of yourself so fully to your children. And even though you have no clue what you're doing half the time, to be there to stick through it all, the good times and the bad times. And when you want to give it all up and you wonder why the hell did I ever do this, that you lean in, you dig in, and you surrender further to this unbelievable gift that you've been given to behold such beauty within your own heart and within your life. Thank you. The Dreams That Shape Us podcast is created and co-hosted by J.M. DeBoard and me, Steve Erninwine. Recording and editing is shared by the both of us, and the original music you heard throughout this podcast was written and performed by me, Steve Erninwine, a.k.a. AQ The Dreamwalker. 
If you want to find out what creative projects J.M. DeBoard has fathered, I encourage you to check out his body of work through his website, jmdebord.com. That's J-M-D-E-B-O-R-D.com. And there you can find links to his three amazing books, dreamschool.net, and his various social media profiles. And of course, join Rad Al himself on Reddit at r slash dreams. If you want to check out the other music I create that is almost exclusively inspired by my dreams, where I have the great honor to fuse the two passions of mine together, then I encourage you to check out my dream-inspired hip-hop and singer-songwriter music that is available on all major streaming platforms under AQ The Dream Walker. And you can also follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube under AQ The Dream Walker for more intimate information on my creative process and my dreaming life. I would be deeply grateful. And if you're loving what we're doing, sharing is caring, man. It helps us to obliterate the Western myth that dreams mean nothing and inspires more people like you to take their dreams more seriously. So any help you can offer us is greatly appreciated. We need you. (laughs) We really do. I mean that. So if you can rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, we would deeply be honored and grateful for that. So thank you. And a deep and handsome thanks to Jim for sharing his incredible and heartfelt story with us all. Big happy Father's Day to every father out there who is doing the work and showing up for their kids. I salute you. And for everybody out there who's listening around the world, we love you. Thank you so much. Till next time. Nighty night! <laughs>